Let's open up to Matthew chapter 13 this morning. Matthew 13. We'll be picking up in verse 1 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, it should be one in the seat back in front of you. Matthew 13 begins a, a series of parables in this chapter. And parables are stories, usually from everyday life, that communicate a spiritual truth. And Jesus begins in Matthew 13 with the parable of the sower of the seed. And so picking up in verse one of chapter 13, it says that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables saying a sower went out to sow and he sowed some and some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up. And since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Verse seven, other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced great and, and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. And he says in verse nine, he who has ears, let him hear. Father, we come to you this morning. We ask, Lord, um, that you'd give us ears to hear. We ask for your spirit, God, to just illuminate our hearts, to soften our hearts, to expose our hearts and to heal our hearts. And we ask for your mercy upon us, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you notice there in verse one, as you, as we start out, it's important as you're reading your Bible, you kind of just don't glance over stuff. You read it as it goes. And, and it says there in verse one, what, what do you notice in verse one? On that same day, on the same day as what? Well, the chapter before. You know, that's kind of how it works on uh, the same day at the end of chapter 12. Basically, if you remember in chapter 12, Jesus is getting assaulted by the religious leaders of the day. The Pharisees accuse him of uh, breaking the Sabbath, which had a capital offense with it. And also they accused him of doing what he was doing by the power of Satan. And Jesus has to correct them. And he says, no, listen, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And by the way, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Uh, teachers of Israel, you should know this kind of thing. And secondly, uh, what I am doing is by the power of the spirit and you are committing blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus corrects them on this. And in this dialogue between Jesus and the leaders and the people who were, who were there, Jesus spoke of the condition of the hearts of the people. And this is the broader sense in which Jesus is talking about. He's concerned about what's happening in the hearts of the nation, the people, the Israelites were supposed to be the people of God responding to the things of God. Anybody can relate as Christians. And yet we see that Jesus came in and, and he came into the stronghold of Satan that he had upon their lives. He was breaking into their house, so to speak, that he had held captive. He bound him up, kicked him out and took away his, his goods. And so people were walking around free. He was delivering them physically and, and in, in, in all these different ways, he was demonically, you know, just kicking the demons out. He was healing people who were deaf and mute and blind and who had leprosy and all this kind of, there was just a great light that was shining upon the land as the kingdom of God was at hand in Jesus Christ. Marvelous. But Jesus said that that generation would be worse off in the end. Why? The implication was that because of their spiritual blindness and hardness of heart, they would end up worse off. Even though they had all these miracles done in their midst, all the, the wonderful acts that God was doing, all those things pointed to were pointing to him. They were pointing to Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of all these things. So it wasn't just about physical healing. It wasn't just about physical blindness. It wasn't just about these physical manifestations, it was, there was a true spiritual condition within the people that needed to be healed. And that was the root of the problem. But would people have a heart that was sensitive to God to hear what the Lord was saying to them, that this is what the true healing that needed to happen in the hearts of the people. Anybody relate? Anybody want to be healed physically? Amen. But the implication there was that they were hard hearted 
And because the house had been emptied and yet not filled, the enemy would come back in a worse, worser way. Jesus said that he'd take seven demons and bring them back. And, and it was analogous with that's what happens in the spiritual realm. But he was saying the nation of Israel, the people of God that had rejected him when he came in and cleared the house and yet they did not receive him would end up in a worse condition than they were in the first place for various reasons, but it all came down to their hearts. They had rejected Jesus in the end. We know that. And because of this, it would be worse. And, and at the end of the chapter, Jesus ends as his mother and his brothers are trying to get a hold of him. He's in a room. He's teaching. He says, listen, my mother's and my, my mother and my brother. Who is my mother and my brother? He says, those who do the will of my father. That's the family of God. And it, well, he wasn't disrespecting his family. He was saying, these are the people of God. These are the ones that are in the kingdom. These are the ones that have not only had their house cleaned, but have filled, have been filled. The ones who do the will of God. And Jesus talks about the nations. You will know a tree by its fruit. You'll know what is on the inside, but what happens on the outside and what comes out of people's mouths and all this kind of stuff. It's on the heels of that dialogue that Jesus begins to speak in parables to the people about all these issues. And here he is by the sea of Galilee. It's not the ocean. He's on the sea of Galilee, a giant lake there. Having come out of the house, probably Peter's house there in Capernaum, his great crowds are gathering around him. Verse one. And he got into a boat and he sat down the whole crowds on the beach. And so you can see that in your mind's eye. And he told them verse three, many things in parables. And here, Matthew in chapter 13, he's going to start talking about these issues in different angles, in different ways, through different stories. And he begins there in verse three with the parable of the sower. And we're going to kind of go through it quickly here because the interpretation is a little later. He says, a sower went out to sow. Now, we live in a farming community, thankfully, so it's not a far leap for us to understand what's going on here. We understand the agrarian cycle, uh, cycle right? And it starts, well, we, it's pretty complex, I understand. But Jesus isn't trying to give a farming lesson here. He's relating to something everybody understands. So he take a, take some seed and you cast it on the ground. And, it, you know, after a certain while, it, it kind of starts growing and you have a harvest, right? That's the idea. I think we all understand that. So he's taking something from everyday life. <clears throat> and so those in, in that day, people didn't have tillers and all this kind of stuff. They did everything by hand. So you'd have this person who'd walk out with a bag of seed and they just start casting it in this field by hand. They try to do it evenly and all that stuff. But verse four, Jesus says, as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured. We can imagine that other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. How many of you have that kind of situation in your garden? And immediately they sprang up. And since there was no depth of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Verse seven, the other seeds fell among the thorns. My gosh, we have some thorns around here. And thorns grew up and choked them, right? Other seeds fell on good soil and they produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. So as you can imagine, Jesus is describing something they would all relate to. They all understood this, right? And, and he uses this farming, the sower and the seed and all that stuff. And he, and he gives four different examples of the types of ground, the types of soil that the seed lands on with four different results. Actually, two different results, <laughs> right? But four, four different responses there. You had the path, the rocky ground. You had the thorns, and nothing really good happened on any of those. And then lastly, you had the soil. And so three out of the four didn't produce what the seed was intended to do. Everybody tracking. Great. And as you can imagine, everybody listening there, everybody's going, uh-huh. I totally understand. And then at the end of that, what does he say in verse nine? He has ears, let him hear. And he goes into another parable. And repeats the same thing. And, and ladies, how many of you in your city of Revelation, you know that verse? He who has ears, let him hear, right? What the Spirit is saying to the church, same thing. Repeat it again. We know that's a figure of speech, right? 
Now, overwhelmingly, Jesus is not saying, hey, I see you all have ears. You know, I want you to hear. It's like everybody is born with ears, pretty much. The overwhelming majority of people are born with ears that work. So he's not saying, you know, I hope you were listening. What's he saying? I hope you're hearing what I'm, I hope you're understanding spiritually what I'm saying to you. We know that Jesus wasn't given a farming lesson. He was communicating spiritual truth. And in those with spiritual ears, spiritual understanding would hear and receive the spiritual truth. And those who did not, would not. And we know this because of what follows. Verse 10, check it out. Then the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? It's a great question. Why are you veiling spiritual truth to the people, to the masses? Why are you hiding the things of the kingdom from everybody? And Jesus says in verse 11, gives him the answer to you. It has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. How does that sit with you? That's heavy. You get to wrestle with this kind of stuff. Jesus says to you, it's been given to understand these things to them. It has not. The disciples were given to know the kingdom of heaven. By the way, it wasn't just the disciples there. There were others, both. I think, I think Mark tells us more about Luke as well. In his account, there were others around. By the way, they're alone. <laughs> they come away from the whole crowd and disciples are sitting alone. They go, hey, uh, can you tell us the meaning of this? But that's the greater context. We didn't understand ourselves. And Jesus turns to them and says to you, I'm going to let you know. Because it's been given to you to know. What does that mean? Well, I don't want to read it right now, but if you read John 17, this is the high priestly prayer. Jesus is about to die and he's praying. He says, glorify me as, as you know, I had your glory that I shared with you before, you know, before everything started. And, and he's just saying, he's just talking about the glory that they shared. And then he's saying, I'm sharing my glory with them. And they're going to share the glory with those who will believe. And, and we're all going to, we're all one together. And he just starts in this beautiful prayer. But he says there, he says the disciples were given to know the kingdom of, uh, of heaven, right? In what we're reading. But in John 17, he says that he's speaking of the disciples there. He says they were given to the son out of the world by the father. That these were given to the son out of the world by the father. The father chose them and gave them to the son out of the world. That's verse six of John 17. If you keep reading in six B, it says yours, they were, and you gave them to me. He repeats it again. In verse nine, these were given to me for they were yours. Jesus said, and so it just repeats it over and over and over that the father gave them to the son. Think about that. And so on the one hand, it's clear the disciples were given to the son by the father and the son then declares the father to them. He starts declaring the mysteries of the kingdom of God. He starts declaring things about the nature of God and who he is and all these things to these disciples. He's, he's letting them in on their relationship that they've had from all eternity. It's pretty amazing. It's what it is to be a Christian, by the way. It's not to go to church. It's to be the church. It's not to, to, it's to be in relationship with God and, and one another and share in fellowship. That fellowship that he had before all eternity through Jesus. And, and so on the one hand, the disciples were given to the son by the father and the son declares the secrets of the kingdom to them. And, and we see their response to the, to the mysteries and to the word that was given them. And by the way, there's different ways of saying the word of God, the mysteries of God, the word of God, the gospel, all these types of things are different ways of kind of communicating the same idea. And it says the son manifested the father's name to them. I have manifested your name to them. Father, verse six of John 17. And they have kept 
your word. What did they do to the word? They kept it. In verse eight, in the beginning it says, and they received the words that Jesus had given them. And they came to know in truth that he came from the father and they have believed that the father sent them. They've kept, they've received, they've believed. That's the response of the disciples to the mysteries that were given them to the word that was sown to them. Isn't that wild? So these men kept the word, they received the word and and they believed they had ears to hear. Make sense. They had spiritual ears to hear. Listen, there's a tension in scripture that we, we get divided so often, often over the sovereignty of God, the responsibility of man. And yet both are, are there in scripture. Listen, God is sovereign and yet man is responsible. Isn't that crazy? That it's just always that tension in scripture. God chose these men and we find yet these men responded to what was given to them in faith. They kept the word, they believed the word, and they received it. Those three words, three different ways of saying the same thing. There's a context there when Jesus says to you, it has been given to know the context of the secrets. The context is the father chose you, yet you responded in faith. Isn't that amazing? That's how that works. And it's a mystery I don't fully understand. Never will I. Maybe when I get there, but most of those hearing the parables were not given to the know, know this, the kingdom of God. They did not have ears to hear. Why is that? Why is that? Well, verse 12 for to one who has more will be given and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. There's another parable we'll get into that talks about those types of things about the servant who was given a talent, right? And he talks about how one buried them and the others invested them. One had faith. One did not took what was given and responded in faith. And one did not. And so the one who has been called, the one who's received the word, the one who's kept the word, the one who's believed upon the son, more will be given. If you are in that camp, God has called to you and your heart is open and you've received what God has given you. He's going to give you more. Amen. Amen. That's a good place to be. So rejoice. Amen. That's the one who has ears to hear. A heart that believes, but the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Who is the one who has not? Why don't they have understanding? Verse 13, he says to them, he says, this is why I speak to them in parables, that group, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Jesus quotes Isaiah here to clarify the reason that he taught them in parables. Verse 14, indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts have what? Grown dull. That's why. Listen, this is the heart of what Jesus is getting at. The people's hearts had become dull to the God they proclaimed to love and follow. Pretty dangerous. So what does that tell you about going to church? What does it tell you about going to Bible study? What does it tell you about saying you're a Christian or identifying with a group? Being a Jew in the middle of Israel with all the sacrifices and the feasts and all the things they went to and were a part of that was ingrained in their culture. What did Jesus say to the majority of those people? For this people's hearts have grown dull. Jesus was speaking, but they were not really listening. They had no spiritual understanding. They, they saw the miracles, but that miracles, those miracles didn't lead to faith for most of them. It was never translated in their hearts 
to belief, to response. Most of that generation, all the words, all the miracles never translated in their hearts to a believing faith. Verse 15, for this people's hearts have grown dull and with their ears, they can barely hear and their eyes. They have closed. They have closed. And so Isaiah speaks about the spiritual condition of Israel. Jesus is speaking about the spiritual condition of Israel present, right? Listen, their hearts were hard towards God. Therefore they could barely hear and their eyes were closed. And this was heartbreaking because what is he going to say there in verse 15 B or 16? Can't really see there. 15. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, repent. And I would what? I would heal them. Wait a second. What was Jesus going around doing? He was healing them. Correct? He was cleaning house. But what did he want to do? He wanted to heal them. He wanted to be in the house. He wanted to be the guest of honor in their house, never leaving. He wanted to possess them. But see, they wanted the superficial stuff as a nation, not all of them, but they wanted the superficial stuff. Can anybody relate? This is God's heart. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and, and I would heal them. God wants to heal them. This is why he mourned over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He starts talking about how they rejected the prophets, how I long to gather you to myself as a mother hen gathers the chicks, but you were not willing. Sacrifices were burning. The lambs were being slaughtered. The whole thing was going on, all pointing to him. He was standing on the outside, looking in at Jerusalem. Said you were not willing. Comes to the church in Revelation, ladies. I come to the door and knock. Whose door is he knocking on? The church's door. Let me in. (laughs) Right? Let me in. Because you're not willing, you're going to go through this. So there's the heart of God there, just longing to heal these people. But what keeps God from healing? On the one hand, he's sovereign, yet there's the response of the heart of men, the condition of the heart of men. That's what was going on. The multitudes were healed, but many had become unchanged in their hearts. And this first parable of the sower speaks of this. That's the context. Verse 16, but there were those who believed, amen. Lest we all get depressed and go, oh gosh, why did I go to church? Got to read up again. But blessed are your eyes. Who's he talking to? Disciples, the ones who have the ears to hear, right? But blessed are yours for they see and your ears for they hear. I mean, have you been... Have you heard the voice of God? Not in a weird way, but has he spoken to you through his word? Have you, do you hear what he says to your heart? And there's a relationship between you and him. And he, and it's, it's off the page. It's awesome. They're alive. My sheep know my voice. It's not a weird, wacky thing. It's according to the word. And yet there's a living, breathing, live relationship with the living God. Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears they, for they hear. Truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now, Jesus is actually flipping back from the spiritual to the physical. Listen, there were prophets who longed, the righteous men. This is speaking of the people who had the spirit of Christ in them prophesying forward. We know that from Peter, but he's saying, hey, listen, they longed to actually just physically see. 
what you are seeing in totality and hearing in totality right now, but they did not. You are blessed. You're beyond blessed is what he's kind of saying to them. Pretty cool. Same, same is true for us in this room who have ears to hear. And Jesus said the prophets and the righteous people, they longed to see what they saw, the promised Messiah and did not see it and did not hear. And here Jesus is saying, you're right. You're right here with me. Pretty cool deal. You know, people go, if I could time travel any moment in time, it's like, I want to be with him, wherever he is. That's, that's the one. But he says, blessed are you. You're so blessed. You who believe. So listen, the parables were not Jesus's way of making the mysteries of the kingdom of God understandable for the masses. That's not his purpose. He's concealing the mysteries of God from the hard hearted. That's what the purpose of the parables are doing. He says it right there. But on the flip side within the parables, it is, he's saying it's also a way of for those who have spiritual eyes and ears to understand the things of the kingdom. Amen. He says, don't cast your pearls before swine. What's he doing? He's keeping the precious things from God from people who will not value them, but he's also revealing the precious things of God to the people who will. And that is you who have called upon Jesus Christ as your savior and whom the spirit of the living God lives. Amen. And so you get to feast on what men only dream to know. And it's right here. Thousands upon thousands of people, millions have read these verses and have no comprehension of what they mean. But you, by God's grace, by his spirit, get to understand about your father as his spirit teaches you. Amen. So Paul, by the way, in first Corinthians two eleven, he says regarding this understanding that the spiritual people have of God. He says, for who knows in second Corinthians 11 through 16 says, for who knows a person's thoughts, except for the spirit that's in that person, which, which is in that person, Right. How many of you like been married for a while? You still don't know what they're thinking, <laughs> right? Who knows what is, they're thinking except for their own spirit. Like they have to, there's that to be, you know, you kind of have a gist, but you don't really know everything, right? And so also no one comprehends. He says here, the thoughts of God, except for the spirit of God. Does that make sense? The, what's the mind of God? Who knows the mind of God? Well, the spirit of God, his spirit. This is Paul. He's talking to people. He says, now we, I think he's talking about the apostles there. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. And we, that we might understand things freely given to us by God. So here's the amazing thing. Humans have received the spirit of God and with the spirit of God, we're under, we're able to understand the heart of God, the mind of God. And he goes on. He says, and we impart this, these in this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, not taught by human wisdom, but by the spirit. These are spiritual words for spiritual people, because we are a spiritual people. We've been born into the kingdom and our God has his own language. And he's given you the code to understand it. His spirit within you through faith in Jesus Christ. We're born of the spirit. Amen. And so he goes, and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, the natural person. That's the one who's not born again. The normal everyday person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. They're foolishness to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Make sense. So Jesus is saying to those who don't have the spirit, they're not going to get the things of the spirit to those who do. They will. That's kind of what's going on. And Jesus explains the parable of the sower to them in Mark as well. And in Luke, and he says, hear the parable of the sower hear with understanding. That is in verse 18, he doesn't want you to just hear. He wants you to understand. So what does it mean? What's he saying? What's this parable about? He says, when anyone verse 19, hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. 
when you don't understand something in scripture, keep reading context usually helps. And he's going to do this a couple times. He'll explain something. He'll talk about something. He'll come back to the explanation, the interpretation of it, just to help you out here with the parable. So Jesus is now giving us the code to understanding what he's saying. So we have a sower and the seed, the various types of ground and the various things that contributed to the lack of growth. Right. And so the sower is who ultimately it's God. Correct. It's God. The seed is the word of the kingdom. He says right there. And I'm kind of giving you some answers that are in here, but the ground represents what? The heart, the human heart, the heart condition in response to the seed that's cast upon it. And there's various heart conditions that would block out the spirit, the, the spirit's desire to do what it does. The, the seed that's cast, its purpose is to bring forth a harvest, to bring forth life. Make sense? That's the nature of it. And so this first scenario in the parable, we see seed cast in a path where the birds came down and ate the seed. And so the path represents a heart that did not understand the word that was given to them. And by that word, that understanding is, Oh, I didn't get it. No, it's like, there is no will to understand. They aren't, they don't have the ability to hear spiritual things. They don't want to hear. There's a hardness of heart. It's a beaten down hard path. It's impenetrable. That seems to be the context here. There is an incapability on their part of responding to the spirit of God. And we know that God allows us to do that anyway. So I don't know how it all works, but this was easing pickings for the enemy. Satan comes into their minds and hearts and steals away what has been given to them by God. There are hearts that are hardened towards anything of the spirit. By the way, it seems to be in scripture. That's our default position. But by the grace of God, all sheep have gone astray. No one understands. No, not one. So it's a lot to balance there. But hard heart, hard heart. He starts out with that. And any truth that God import, impart towards them is met with resistance from their own heart. And the enemy comes in and steals out with whatever said right away. There's just no chance. This happens. I've seen it happen on Sunday morning. You know, I sometimes, you know, I'll be teaching, man, you can just sense there's just a total resistance to what is being communicated. Like just a heart, there's a warfare that's sick and there's just a hardness, like get me out of here. Not just like I, I'm tired. I want to have a sandwich kind of hardness, like, <laughs> but like no interest whatsoever. You can see it. Well, we pray, right? We pray. You've seen it. How many of you know people? Don't you dare mention anything about God around me. And anything that's mentioned, man, the birds are at it. There's just a thick warfare. There's a reality of that. And I would say Jesus is kind of maybe putting the Pharisees in that group. Would you say? Isn't that ironic? The ones who are supposed to know were the ones that were so hardened towards God. Not all of them. Nicodemus, you had a few. You see, the human heart can be so hard, so void of sensitivity that they are in concert with the enemy. The Pharisees probably are a good example of that. That's scenario one. What about scenario two? The seed that fell on rocky ground, verse 20, as for that was sown on rocky ground. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Woohoo! Man, wasn't that a great message? Oh, I love God. I love Jesus. This is great. Yet it has no root in himself. He has no root in himself. He endures only for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Another heart condition, another heart scenario. The second type of heart that the word uh, comes into, comes upon is someone who is initially excited about God and Jesus and the kingdom. Have you ever met anybody like that? I've met people like that, man. Oh gosh, God is awesome. And they're overjoyed. And there's just, and what's tricky about this is that's a normal response to what God does in heart. Amen. Yeah. It's like, woo, I'm saved. That's awesome. But Jesus is talking about a superficial faith here. 
those who receive the word with joy. It isn't based in faith. It's based in emotion. It seems to be the context here. Check me on it. But that's kind of where I land on it. And there's an excitement. But there's no root of faith. They got hyped. They were motivated by the music and the feel and the people and the culture and all this kind of stuff. But it wasn't a genuine belief. We know this because Jesus says, like a seed in rocky ground, it only lasts for so long because the cool, moist conditions of spring give way to the blazing heat of summer. How many of you know that following Jesus? Not that it isn't sweet in the heat, but man, the world does not like Jesus. Our flesh does not like Jesus. Two words, tribulation or persecution come on account of the word. Tribulation means oppressing together a pressure, anguish, burden, trouble. We know the great tribulation. So you kind of just take that word tribulation, oppressing, a crushing comes upon a person. And then also persecution, meaning a hostility towards you. You understand the idea of persecution comes in various forms. And all these come, Jesus says, on account of the word, the word they profess to embrace. Now, how many of you who are kind of emotional musician types, you know who you are. struggle with them and things are hard and you kind of just ride the wave of emotion all the time. Anyone else? I'm not saying all musicians, please forgive me. I am one. So I'm just, but the very word they received with joy brings with it a great pressure, oppressing a hostility from the world around you. There's a war going on between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man and the kingdom of Satan. There's a war. And Jesus says, because there's no root in them, the root is not of faith, but of emotion. It seems to be the idea. They fall away immediately. When the heat comes, they give up. It proves where their faith was. Trials reveal what's really going on in us. This is why James says, let, you know, let patience have its work. Let the trials do what they're supposed to do. Because in the end, if you persevere, what happens? It produces a fruit of righteousness, right? Or life. And, he, and anyways, you can read James. But there's no growth there. There's no endurance. There's no harvest. It's a dead plant. Listen, believers believe. Doesn't mean we don't have moments of vacillation. We fall all over the place. I mean, the Lord is the one who does it. Amen. But yet nevertheless, we believe upon him. Amen. But there's a, that belief doesn't stop. It continues because he's in us. There are those who first seem to receive the word with joy, but then their unsaved families find out. Then their coworkers find out. And they're faced with pressure of the culture and the world and a call to follow Jesus and to forsake sin. And they can't do it. It's too much. It's a superficial faith. And, and this is what people are facing much more today. And I think it's a, it's a healthy thing. Actually, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ has become more and more incompatible with the values of the culture. To be a follower of Jesus Christ, it will cost you. You'll get the heat. You'll get the persecution. And how you respond, how a person responds to that reveals where our allegiance is, where our faith is. It's not that we don't struggle with these things that we don't have to learn and grow in them. But when there's a falling away for these people, in other words, I can't do it. And you see this with tons of people. I don't want to judge people like anything, but you see it like, oh, I thought you were a Christian. And yet they, ab they abandoned the very things that, G you know, they just go with the world. Because that's where their allegiance is. It's with the world. 
And to align with Jesus would mean to make enemies with the world and to lose friends and to be looked at in a certain light. They lose their careers or positions or whatever it might be. It comes with a cost. So Jesus says, it'll come. The heat will come. Some people who are emotional Christians, so to speak, they aren't, they don't really have a faith and I can't judge. I don't know what people's hearts are. I have no idea. I'm not God. Amen. But Jesus is, and he says that that's happening. And by the way, this is why there is such a pressure on the pulpit to tailor a message that is culturally relative and sensitive to everything going on to tickle your ears to be liked. You know, there's a stricter judgment for those who teach. I know it's heavy stuff. And Lord knows I am not perfect in this. But nevertheless, the word is the word and the truth is truth. And no one's doing you any service by telling you what you want to hear instead of telling you what God says. Humbly, hopefully. But that's scenario two, a superficial faith. Scenario three, and as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but cares the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Boy, we struggle with this in America. Struggle with it all. You know, John, my son, you guys know, John, he he worked in the fields, you know, he's younger. And one of the things he'd do is rogue weeds, you know, and he'd come home and his, his jeans would be shredded from the head of the wheat. And also these wonderful things we have up here called goat heads. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. I mean, if Satan did not invent something. I'm sorry, Lord. I know it's your, it's all just, what is with those? I mean, if you're, if you're really thinking about like how to defeat an enemy, just fly over the place and just drop a bunch of those seats. Uninhabitable. And they are nasty. And so he goes through the fields and he's sitting there and comes home with punctured hands. And you know how it goes. You're just pulling them out because they choke the life out of the wheat and they puncture tires and do all these other things that I won't talk about. But, but weeds by their very nature, they're competing for the growth, right? The next parable he's going to go into is the parable of the weeds. There's really only two types of plants out there. So, but the weeds are there and, and they are the dominant ones. And unless they're, they're dealt with, unless they're eradicated, the, gr- the growth is going to be killed. I remember living in college place over there. We had a little bit of land around our house and we were renting over there and uh, decided to plant a garden from San Diego. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. Um, so we, we had corn and like was like popping up a little bit and we decided to go on vacation for two weeks and we came back. Everything was overgrown and dead. Like, it's like, what happened? Weeds happened. It's so easy. They just, they're just naturally occurring. I can grow awesome weeds. <laughs> I won't confess anything from my earlier days. Anyways, Jesus used this picture to tell his disciples that a heart that puts the cares of the world and the pursuit of riches above God will choke out the fruitfulness of the word in their life. Weeds will kill what the word desires to do. And he lays out the weeds as being the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. And that's what our society is built upon. That's what it tells you. You must pursue every day in and out. That's all. All advertising is about. It pushes you toward not say all advertising. Most it's just pushing you towards that's life. This is another way that God's word falls upon the human heart onto a heart that is worldly minded and not kingdom minded. A heart 
that cares more for the world and for earthly treasure than for the kingdom. Demas was once a follower of the Lord. It seemed at, at first, maybe he was in the end. I don't know, but it's very interesting in, in second Timothy four ten, he used to be a co-laborer with Paul was mentioned in the other scriptures. He says, Paul says to Timothy at the end of his life, says Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Someone who had been doing the work of the ministry, been doing these things and just, he could not get rid of the thorns in his life and it choked him out. And he just went back. He departed. He left. The fruit was choked out. And so that's the third scenario. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. He who has ears, let him hear. Lastly, 23, good soil. And for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. Comprehends it, applies it here. You're in a doer, right? That's the idea there. He is indeed, he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case. It's a hundredfold. In another case, what it's 60 and another 30, you know, so there's different levels of fruit in people's lives in response in, in what God is doing in them. In this last case, it's the one that God desires. One who hears God, one who loves him, one obeys him and fruit happens in your life. Christ likeness. It impacts your daily life, guys. It impacts your decisions. It impacts our attitudes. It impacts everything about us because Jesus is the center of our life. God is desiring hearts that not only hear him, but understand him. That means hearers and doers. This is an application of God's word in our lives. That's why we gather together in the middle of the week, not just to study God's word, but to apply it. What's God calling us to do with this understanding that we have? And when the word is heard and understood, it changes us. It produces Christ likeness in us in our hearts. That's the fruit that God wants. He wants Christ like characters, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. Another one, self-control. He who has been given will be given more abundantly. Jesus says, right? We grow spiritually and we produce a harvest. A good tree bears good fruit. And this is why some, and I tend to be one of them, believe that this parable is dividing the unbelievers from the believer. That seems to be the thrust of the whole scripture because that's what he's been talking about to the whole nation. That the unbelievers are categories one, two, and three, but number four, that that's a believer. Now that's not to say <laughs> that we do not have hearts that struggle with one, two, and three at any given moment. Amen. But that's not the sustained condition of our heart. Amen. So let this be two things here. One, a check to see if we are in the faith. Make sense. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Where am I with this? Am I hard hearted to the things of God? Am I an emotional Christian? But when it comes down to actually like, doing the exercise program. I give up after week one. Anyone else? I mean, you know what I mean? Don't want to endure the persecution that comes with it. If I let the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches rule my life, take, man, may the spirit give us ears to hear what he's saying to the church, right? And you're not alone. He's a master gardener. He's a great weeder. Amen. He knows how to grow things. Commit yourself to him. But one in, continues in those paths. Number two, the second part, they run to God with those things. Amen. Run to God with your weeds, your rocks, and the birds. That's what believers do. Amen. But as a nation, there were varying responses. 
in the hearts of the people he was ministering to. And he wanted his disciples to know who were going to be going out saying, this is what the field I'm sending you into. You're going to be casting the field and this is what's going to happen. I want you to know it as you're going into it. And by the way, beware of your own heart as you go into that. Yeah. So we're going to see next week, the parable, there are really only two kinds of crops. There's weeds and wheat, wheat and weeds, wheat gets put in the barn. The weeds get thrown into the fire. Jesus is going to bring that one about. So while there's all these varying heart conditions of why we don't respond to God, truly there's only two camps, <laughs> right? And there's an enemy at work sowing and there's the Lord who's sowing. Maybe be those who, who keep his word by God's grace. Maybe we be those who receive his word by God's grace. Maybe we be those who believe upon Jesus Christ, not a one-time prayer check done living my life, but I'm yours. Your will above mine. Amen. So I'm praying that he would give me, give you ears to hear what he's saying to us in the season. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Lord, may you be Lord. Come into the field of our hearts. Weed out the weeds. Soften us, Lord. Give us ears to really hear you. We can't work that up. We can't manipulate it. We can't do anything. It's something you need to do within us. We just come to you and ask and you're gracious. And there are those struggling with that this morning. They don't hear you. There's a hard heart or they can't see you working because there's just a blindness. The eyes are under the things or Lord, do that work. I would just encourage you to call out to him in your heart and just ask for help and for forgiveness and cleansing, and he'll do that work in you. And Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. Make us sensitive and obedient to you once again. And may there be a fruit that comes about that's amazing, that we all stand back and look at each other and look at what you're doing and go, wow, that's God. And that you would receive all, every bit of glory and honor. And it's in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. God bless you all. Amen. Have a wonderful week in the Lord.